Well, welcome uh, to everybody this morning, uh, and uh, just to say thank you for uh, complying with the guidelines on face mask. It's a bit weird looking out on the congregation this morning, uh, but we are in the situation we're in. I just thought I wanted to clarify uh, something regarding the masks, though, uh, and just to say that those who are uh, leading the service while they're at the pulpit. Uh, that is according to the guidelines. Uh, we're a good distance from the congregation. Um, I can't spit that far. Um, I haven't tested it, but I'm pretty sure. Uh, but whenever we come down from the platform, uh, then the masks uh, will be on. Um, so I want you, wanted you to be aware uh, of that. Uh, well, if you've looked at the news uh, over the last uh, months, there's been a lot of uh, negative news, a lot, a lot of bad news, uh, but nevertheless, uh, it's good that we can still remember that our unchanging God is always good, isn't he? Uh, we, whatever the situation we find ourselves in, we can always be thankful to him for who he is and for all that he has done for us. And the first song that we're going to uh, listen to this morning uh, is a song that speaks of a heart that is filled with thankfulness. So please uh, remain in your seats as we uh, listen and worship God through the words of this song.
Well, we're going to pray uh, just in a moment, but before we do, I want to mention uh, something uh, that came in this week. You you may remember a while ago uh, that the church prayed uh, for a taste employee uh, called uh, Joy Bayensit-Dala in Nigeria, and she needed surgery, which cost uh, a lot of money that she didn't have. And the church here prayed about this, and people sent uh, money over uh, to help pay for the operation. And she was able to have that operation, uh, and she sent a letter this week uh, just to say uh, how thankful she is for receiving uh, the money, but also for the prayers. Uh, And she is now back on her feet and has written uh, to the church expressing her thanks uh, for that. So uh, as we pray, uh, part of that prayer will include giving thanks uh, for uh, the way that the Lord's sustained and helped her. So let's uh, bow our heads now and pray. Heavenly Father, the words of our hymn uh, spoke of a heart that is filled with thankfulness. And we have so much to thank you for, uh, even in times of difficulty in our world. Uh, you are the unchanging God who is in complete control of all things. And you are the God who loves us and has demonstrated that love through the death of Jesus Christ for our sins. We are most thankful for that amazing gift of your grace, that we can be forgiven and that we can have a relationship with you, that we have in Christ eternal life. We thank you for your providential care, moment by moment in our lives, in ways that we don't even realize. We have just heard how you sustain us with arms of love, And we thank you for this. We thank you that Joy had her surgery, that it was successful, and that she was able to afford it due to the generosity of your people. We continue to pray that she would remain in good health and strength and continue to be used by you to show your generosity by helping Taste provide clean water to the needy in Nigeria. We want to thank you today for the birth of Edie into the Gordon family. We pray that Lindsay would continue to recover well from the birth and that the Gordon family would settle well in their new situation. We pray that Edie would grow healthy and strong physically, but even more than this, we pray that she would grow to love and to serve Jesus. We do continue to pray, Heavenly Father, for those who are sick at this time. We especially think of Pat Salt, of Carol Whitehouse, of Mike Elliott and David Beach. We pray that they would be continuing to look to Jesus through these times and know your arms of sustaining love surrounding them. We also pray this morning for Elsie Boynton as she goes to the QE later this month We pray that you would give the doctors clarity about the right course of treatment for her. We pray that you would encourage her and Alan as they wait. Enable them to keep looking to and trusting in our Lord Jesus. We thank you that you are a God who reveals yourself to us. And we pray this morning as we read your word, as we listen to it sung, as we hear it preached, that you would reveal to us more of Jesus that we would grow more and more into the image of him 
in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, we've been uh, considering the, the Ten Commandments. Uh, last week, we looked at the commandment uh, not to commit adultery, and today we look at the commandment regarding uh, not stealing. And as we read the commandments again and again, we are reminded of our need for God to empower us to live these things out. Uh, in the book of Ephesians that we looked at uh, just a few weeks ago, uh, Paul describes living out God's commands as putting on a new set of clothes uh, and uh, how God empowers us to live out his will uh, by wearing these new clothes that he's given us. And in fact, in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul even mentions the, the command to no longer steal. And we're going to have a reading from that uh, passage now, Ephesians chapter 4, uh, verses 17 to 28, and Chris is going to come and read that to us. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning at verse 17. So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God, because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. <clears throat> Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught, with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbour, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. This is God's word. Well, again, the, the Ten Commandments, as well as showing us how to live, show us how we need Jesus because we need his forgiveness. We see how we fail in all of these areas. And our next song uh, praises God because he does offer us forgiveness by his amazing grace.
Well, we're going to read the Bible together now. Uh, what we're going to do is to read uh, the Ten Commandments, uh, which will appear on the screen. We'll read it as a congregation. Uh, we'll read up to the point where uh, the command not to steal is, because that's where we are today. Uh, but just a couple of things uh, about the reading. Uh, there's going to be two different color words, uh, one black and one red, because it's quite a long reading. Uh, I'll read the red words on my own, uh, and then all of us will join in on the black words. Hopefully that makes sense. Um, if not, I'm sure it'll be fine. Um, so let's stand together. Uh, we'll all read the black words, and then when the words are read, um, if, you, if you're colorblind, I don't know, just do whatever you want. Okay, so let's read uh, the Ten Commandments together. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honour your father and your mother, so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal. Please uh, take your seats. And if you return to Exodus chapter 20 in your Bibles, uh, that is where we're going to be looking at this morning, and specifically at verse 15, which is the eighth commandment, you shall not steal. Now, stealing is a huge uh, problem in our world. Just think about the kind uh, of security that we have in place every single day to try and prevent theft. So we have locks on our houses, on the doors to our homes and on the windows. Uh, we lock our cars and we lock up our bikes. Uh, we use PIN numbers for our bank cards and we have fingerprints or facial recognition on our phones or tablets. Uh, on, on, on the internet we have passwords for almost anything that we use. All of these things to prevent people stealing from us. In fact, I would say 
that we put more in place to stop this commandment being broken by other people than by any of the others. Because the other commandments really are based on trust. So for example, uh, we don't really go out wearing protective clothing because we expect to get murdered. We expect to go outside, do what we do, and then come home. I mean, we, obviously we wear masks now to protect ourselves, but we don't really go out and expect someone to murder us. But if we go out and we happen to have, uh, I don't know, money hanging out of our pocket by uh, some mistake we make, we kind of expect that money to get pinched from our pocket, don't we? Or if we go out in our car and we go into the shop, we lock it because we expect someone to open the door and break in. But today, we're going to see in this commandment that although we put these things in place so that other people don't steal our property, all of us really are guilty of breaking this command just like all of the others. It's all too easy with the commandments to think about how other people break them, but our Bibles teach us that these commandments are broken by all of us. We are all guilty before God, and all of us need the salvation that the perfect man, Jesus, offers us. Now, behind each of these commands, there is an idol that we serve, something we are tempted to follow instead of God. Now, stealing uh, is defined, really, as taking without permission that which belongs rightly to somebody else. But what is the idol behind stealing? Why do people take without permission that which belongs rightly to someone else? Well, in one sense, we could say that the idol behind stealing is wanting what we do not have. And we'd be right to say that. But I would say that's more breaking the 10th commandment about not coveting. What is the difference behind what, between what's behind stealing and coveting? And I think the difference is this. People steal because they think they deserve something, but they don't feel they ought to work for it. So coveting, and we'll see this uh, when we look at that command, is about wanting more of what someone else has, but stealing is feeling like we deserve something that we don't own, and that we shouldn't have to work for it. And the opposite of stealing, therefore, is generosity and working. And this link is found in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 28, which we read earlier. Paul writes, Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Notice here how Paul makes the connection. Do not steal, but instead work so that you can give. So the opposite of stealing is working and giving. And so the idol that is behind this commandment could be called the idol of idleness. To be idle means either doing nothing or doing nothing that is worthwhile. And it's linked to stealing because many people steal what they refuse to work for or what they can't work for but think that they deserve. And it's an idol because 
How many of us just long for an easy life? So many people are seeking an easy life. I want as much as I can, as much as I can get, for as little effort as possible. That's the goal of so many people's lives. And they think, well, if I can, I can have whatever I want, and I don't have to make any effort to get it, if I can reach that kind of, uh, of, of so-called balance, well, then I'll be happy. That's the idol. And as with all of these idols, they promise much, but never deliver. Because an easy life, where we can get as much as we can, for as little effort as possible, will not make you happy. And that's because God made us different to that. God's uh, commands that he gives in the Ten Commandments are not just arbitrary rules from on high, things we have to do randomly. They are for our flourishing. Now, some of you may be thinking, well, how on earth is work for my flourishing? I hate work. It's hard. I don't like my job, you may think. Well, you may not enjoy your job. You may not have a job. You may be retired. You may be unable to work because of health problems. But that doesn't mean that we are to be idle and do nothing with our lives. Because God made us ultimately for him. And although that may look differently in terms of work for each of us, the principle remains the same. We flourish as we work for God's glory. And so there is a freedom in working. When God created humanity, he placed the man in a garden with the express purpose of working in it. Listen to Genesis 2 verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. So we were made to work, and so idleness is not good for us. Now work, when we say that, is not necessarily paid employment. There are many who are not able to work for very valid reasons. But that doesn't mean that we are to do nothing, but we are to seek to serve God by loving our neighbors in all sorts of ways. This is a call, effectively, to use our time well. So each of us, metaphorically speaking, has a garden that God has placed us in to tend. And so we should all be asking ourselves, how can I use the circumstances and time God has given me for his glory? Another point to be made in light of this commandment is that there is an underlying assumption here of ownership. What we own is what God has provided for us. And often, he's provided work for us so that we can legitimately work for what we enjoy. And we are free, I think, in the Bible to enjoy the fruits of our labors that God has provided as long as we also are freely and generously giving to those who are in need. Well, so far, so good, you might think. Most of us would agree, I think, that, that work is, is good for us to do. Uh, we, we can find a great joy and fulfillment in working. And we all would agree, I, I, I would assume, that ownership as such is a good thing. And it's just. But there is a problem, isn't there? 
We think, I, 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 well, the problem is we think that we deserve more or that we want more but don't really want the hassle of having to work. Because in a fallen world, work is hard, isn't it? This was as part of the curse of sin in the world. Adam was to work in the garden. He was placed there. But after he had sinned, notice the curse in his workplace. This, he worked in the garden. And we read, Cursed is the ground where you work because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. So work becomes hard. And if you, uh, if, with Adam in the garden, that hard work was thorns and thistles. Uh, as you know, if you've got a garden, uh, it takes work to tend the plants and the, the fruit and vegetables or whatever, but you don't have to work at all to grow your weeds, do you? They, they just appear, they're annoying, you have to get them out. That's all part of the curse. And in whatever our, whatever our workplace is, there are those kind of, of weeds and thorns and thistles that are annoying and frustrating. Um, you want to get rid of them, sometimes you can't because they're people. Uh, those kind of things are all part of being in the workplace. It is hard work. And that is true whether your workplace is at home, um, whether that workplace is caring for your loved ones, uh, whatever the workplace is that God has placed us in, there are thorns and thistles that make it hard. And because it is hard, we want to escape it, but we, as one, we want to escape work, but we don't want to escape the, the, what, what we reap from work. And so the sinful response is the failure of stealing. And we see stealing all uh, through the Bible, different examples of it. Perhaps the, the most extreme uh, actually is the prohibition against kidnapping. Uh, in Exodus chapter 21 and verse 16, the very word for kidnap is the same as in the Eighth Commandment for steal. So kidnap is literally stealing a person. And that carried in Exodus uh, 21 the, the, the death penalty because the expectation to honor life that underlies the commandment not to murder also applied to, to kidnap. But when we think of stealing, I don't think kidnapping is the first thing that comes to our mind. But what comes to our mind is the most obvious form of breaking the commandment, which is robbery or theft. Taking that which doesn't belong to you. This includes shoplifting and burglary, breaking into cars, breaking people into people's bank accounts by fraud and so on. Those are the things that I think come to our minds when we think of stealing. But again, it's easy to think of those things, of what other people do, and forget perhaps how we might break the commandment ourselves. Uh, just a couple of uh, examples of that kind of outright theft. It's easy to, to moan about other people uh, stealing the big things when we perhaps take the office or school stationery for ourselves. Or if we work in the health service, we think we, well, we can just take the medicine and we can have that. Um, we think, I work here. Uh, I deserve these little perks of the job. That's stealing. Uh, it's stealing when we don't pay our bills on time after we have agreed to. It is stealing when we borrow things and do not give them back. Uh, many a book has gone missing from my library from people that have borrowed them. <laughs> 
deceitful dealing is also uh, a form of stealing, isn't it? So tax avoidance, benefit cheating, not paying for train tickets and then saying, well, the conductor never appeared to ask for it, or not getting, or, or, or getting too much change or not being charged enough for an item at a shop and blaming it on the bad maths of the person behind the counter. We think, well, it was their fault. They didn't count right. And it is a hassle to queue again to get it right, isn't it? All of that is, is stealing. It doesn't matter that the amounts on their own may be tiny. And it happens all the time. I remember once uh, going to a ticket office to pay for a train fare for a journey I had already taken. I had to queue for it, and the person behind the counter thought I was mad. They said, why are you paying for the ticket? You, you could just go. But as a Christian, it's the right thing to do, isn't it? To pay for things that we have used, even when it is a right pain in the neck to do so. We can steal time from work when we are wasting our work time when we're just scrolling on our phone or surfing the internet instead of working. That is stealing. Even when we have finished our work, if we are being paid to be there, we should at the very least ask our boss if there is more work we could do. Now, we might think, I deserve a bit of time off, or I've done my bit for the day. But imagine if you're paying someone to paint your house, and you pay them uh, for a daily rate, rather than for the job, you pay them for, the, for each day they work, and they, spe- they took a week to do a day's job because they were sat scrolling on their phone, you'd rightly be annoyed, thinking, well, get on with the job, do it quickly, because I'm paying you for the day. And yet we can go to work and do the exact same thing to our employer. Another common form of stealing is uh, plagiarism. That is, when we take someone else's work and claim it as our own. I once remember reading a story of a a famous preacher who went to a church and heard his own sermon preached from the pulpit that he had put in one of his books. If I'm preaching uh, and I use someone else's words, I need to acknowledge that they're not my words but someone else's. And I think there's a word here too, Uh, that I see a lot with our young people, with their schoolwork. Here's the thing. It is stealing when you cut and paste Wikipedia articles into your work and claim it as your own. Even when you just change the words around a little bit and say, well, I've, I've changed the words around so that it's not really Wikipedia. That is stealing. And it's the idol of idleness because... It is hard work, isn't it, to research, read, assimilate information, and come to your own conclusion. Wikipedia does it all for me. But that is not what God calls the Christian to do. I also think one final thing in how, we, uh, how people fail in this commandment, uh, and one that we can discuss, I think, at another time, because not all would agree with me, but I think that gambling is another form of breaking this commandment. If you think the idol behind it is wanting to get more by doing less, then certainly that is what gambling does, isn't it? And furthermore, the promises that many casinos and bookmakers make give the impression that you will win when the chances are minuscule. I mean, if the chances of winning were as high as they were telling you, 
there wouldn't be that many rich bookmakers in the world, would there? Well, the New Testament tells us a lot about idleness. Uh, one place is in, uh, in uh, 2 Thessalonians. Paul writes, In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teaching you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we do not have the right to such help, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. The one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. So Paul speaks clearly there of the sin of idleness, of, of doing nothing or doing nothing worthwhile. And finally, I think we see a failure in this commandment when we rob God. Uh, Malachi chapter 3 speaks of this. Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. All that we have is God's, and he asks us to freely and cheerfully and generously give some of our money away. And when we refuse to give, we are robbing God, and it is a form of stealing. Now, the Bible never tells us how much to give, but the principle is to be sacrificial. That is, it must cost you something. You should feel it, and it must be generous, which is exactly, as we'll see, how God gives with us. Now, I think we can see how all of us at various points in our lives, and to various extents, have failed in this commandment. Which is why we need Jesus, who is the fulfillment of work. Now, as with all of these commandments, we see Jesus obeying it perfectly. We know that he worked for many years as a carpenter. And then at the age of 30, we see Jesus begin a public full-time ministry. In John chapter 9 and verse 4, Jesus says, as long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. Jesus here speaks of work as doing what God has given us to do. And for Jesus, this was the work of saving us from our sins by going to the cross. He perfectly does the work that the Father gives him to do. And he says this of himself, I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. So Jesus fulfills this by working and by doing the work which his Father had given him to do, which for many years was as a carpenter, but in the last years of his life, that work was the work of salvation. Jesus works, and how does he work? By, give it, by, by, by working and giving with radical generosity. His work was to do his father's will, which was to generously and sacrificially give his life to save sinners. And we see this generosity most clearly, I think, on the cross, don't we? 
It is interesting to note that when Jesus is on the cross, who does he die with? He dies next to two thieves. Obviously, they had broken this command. That is what they were known for. And one of them is taken with Jesus to paradise. And Kevin DeYoung uh, says these words. In that dying breath, he gave that man a promise of an inheritance that he had perhaps foolishly wasted his whole life trying to find. In that one moment, Jesus reoriented the thief on the cross, helping him to see that only in God's chosen one would he finally find what he was looking for. So Jesus reorients us from the empty promise of finding fulfillment in an easy life of no work to a life lived for the God who has worked for us and has been so generous. So we don't waste our time, but we do the work that he has given us to do. All of us have failed in this command. We are all thieves, like the thief on the cross, but Jesus lived perfectly and exchanged places with us so that we could be forgiven and be reoriented to follow God's ways. And so now, as forgiven people who have been given the Holy Spirit of God to enable us to fulfill these commands, we can see the future of work for us. As Christians, our attitude to work completely changes. And it changes in two ways. Why we work and how we work. And we see that again in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28. Let me read that again. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. So instead of stealing, we must work, which is doing something useful, but notice the reason, that they may have something to share with those in need. And so the grasping heart of stealing changes to the giving heart of sharing. The grasping heart of stealing changes to the giving heart of sharing. Now, stealing is very common in our world, and we've seen how we have fallen into it. But so, too, is the perhaps opposite extreme of overwork or being defined by your work. Here we are told in Ephesians that we are not to work to live, but we are to work to give. You see the difference there? We're not to be defined by what we do, but what we do is in order that we're able to give to those who are in need. And so rather than stealing to get more for yourself in an easier way, we are told to work hard so that we can give away to those who are in need. Now, it's worth asking the question and clarifying, who are those in need that we are to give to? Well, of course, we can't give to every single need that is out there. But we are called, first of all, to give to the church, and the church is called to use what they give to distribute to where the needs are. And we are called to give to those whom God has placed in front of us or placed on our hearts. 
Uh, sometimes, for example, uh, you will hear of a need and you are burdened with that need and you want to give. Sometimes there is a need that is right in front of our face and we may not feel like giving, but if there is a need there and we are able to provide for that need, we are called to generously give and help. So the reason for our work is to give. But the verse in Ephesians tells us to, to work by doing something useful with our hands. Now, I don't think it means, well, it doesn't mean that if you haven't got a job where you make something, then you're not really obeying. But rather, this verse is encouraging us to work and to do something useful. Uh, sometimes you may feel your job is very mundane and it is very not useful, but the usefulness of it is enabling you to provide for yourself, your family, and for others. That's what makes it useful, you see. And the Bible has much to tell us about how we work. Why we work is to give. How we work is spoken of much. So here's some examples. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. That is how the Christian lives in the opposition to stealing. This is how the Christian obeys this command. However, there are two uh, things to say that you might be questioning about this command. And again, you, 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 um, I said this last week, you might not be questioning them, but you will be when I've asked a question. Uh, first of all, uh, what about those who cannot work? Well, the commands about work are obviously to those who can. Uh, we are fortunate to live in a country where those who cannot work can be provided for in various ways. And it's not wrong to accept the provision. But where Christians can work in paid employment, and they need to work in order to give, so they're, they're not retired, for example, then they should work. But work in the Bible is not necessarily paid employment. People who are carers, people who manage households, for example, are working. Uh, those who have retired have worked. But all of us, whether you are in paid employment, whether you are a carer, whether you are working at home, whether you are retired, all of us whatever circumstances we are in, are called to use that time and those circumstances we are in to the glory of God. And I would encourage you to use your gifts of service and work in the church. There are lots of opportunities to serve God in the life of the local church that he has placed us in. You know, godly work isn't always obvious. So, for example, we are to be busy in studying God's Word, in praying for one another, in supporting others in the church in various ways where there are needs. Those things might not be obvious, but they are work, and they do give glory to God. So, in the circumstances you are in, serve Jesus with all that you've got. The second question is, uh, what about those in circumstances where they are forced to steal because of those circumstances they are in. 
So, for example, if someone's family was going to starve, what would you do? Because many people in our world are faced with that very dilemma. Is, is it right to steal in order to feed a starving family? But I think it's easy for us, when we are very comfortable, to say, well, of course it's wrong. But actually, in Proverbs, there's a couple of interesting verses on this very point. Uh, first of all, Proverbs chapter 30. Uh, Two things I ask of you, Lord, do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. And here's the thing. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, well, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. You see, there's an acknowledgement here in these verses that although stealing is not right, there is a kind of lesser of two evils going on in the verse there. Again, another place in Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 30 says, People do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy his hunger when he is starving. So these verses aren't telling us stealing is right, but rather it is saying that there are circumstances where stealing is understandable. The challenge for us is to ask ourselves whether in our lives we contribute in any way to the poverty of others, and we should rather help others so that there is no need for them to steal. Uh, an example that you could uh, liken it to is the example in the Bible of divorce. Is divorce right? Well, of course, divorce is not right. It's a tragedy. But there are circumstances where it is uh, the only option left for some people. I think this is a kind of a similar kind of thing. Anyway, it's at least a point for discussion, um, maybe later. I think the final uh, future, though, of this command, as ever, lies in the new creation. We see at the end of Revelation a city of light and abundance. All that we need will be provided, and we will be satisfied. There will never be in heaven a desire to steal, and all that we have will be safe. Uh, at the beginning, we thought about locks and pin codes and passwords, but none of those things will be needed in heaven. It will be said of us all, you shall not steal. It's a promise. Never again will that be true of us or anyone around us when we are in heaven. Well, the final song that we're going to uh, just listen to together speaks actually of the dying thief on the cross who saw the forgiveness of Jesus and found it in himself. He was the thief to whom Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. Uh, that song is, there is a fountain, a fountain filled with blood, the place we can go for forgiveness of sin.
Our Father in heaven, we come to you and we just thank you so much that there is forgiveness that is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. We admit, Lord, we have sinned. We have broken every one of your commands. But we thank you that Jesus has obeyed every one of them perfectly for us. Thank you for the forgiveness that is found in him. And we pray now as your people that we would go from this place and wherever we are listening and that we would go and live for your glory as your spirit-empowered people. For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Just a couple of things um, to mention before we finish in here. Um, I'm, I'm saying it like this because the people online are no longer listening, so 